Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of On Air with the Chair. I'm your MEC Chairman, Captain Nicholas James, and joining me today is going to be Jade Shiwi, our MEC Secretary Treasurer, and Jane Schraft, our Senior Labor Relations Attorney. During this episode, we're going to brief you on how we reached a tentative agreement. We'll provide you some information and insights on the negotiations with the company that led to this TA, and we'll also cover some facts and benefits of this new agreement. Also, make sure that you check out our roadshow schedule. All week long, we're going to have officers, reps, and negotiators in each of the domiciles to be able to engage with you and answer your questions on the TA. All right, so this tentative agreement that we've reached with the company is really historic and groundbreaking in many respects, and it advances a lot of our strategic goals and objectives. One of the things that we did at the start of the year was we put out a survey to the pilot group to ask them where their strategic priorities were. We've been hearing from some of the pilots that the Progression for All campaign and career progression in general, those strategic goals were made before these individuals got onto the property. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to put that survey out there to make sure that career progression and the other strategic objectives were still in line with the goals of the MEC. And let me just share with you some information about those survey results. 70% of the total respondents were in the zero to five longevity range, which means those are your Delta guaranteed interview pilots. And those are the pilots that were asking us, hey, is career progression still the priority and direction of this pilot group? When we put the question to the test, which was, what do you want to see in a career progression model? 86% of total respondents chose guaranteed and contractual career progression as their number one choice. Now, that gives us part of the puzzle. The second part of the puzzle, however, is what are we going to do or where do our negotiating priorities land post-pandemic? And here were the top four answers in order. Number one, career progression. Number two, job security. Number three, new contractual benefits. And number four, avoiding concessions. So when you actually take a look at this tentative agreement that's before you, it meets those metrics in that order. The most valuable component of this potential LOA is career progression. That's in there. We also have job security through an enhanced and new fleet guarantee that will go out until 2031. We do have one new contractual benefit, which will be the annual escalators that go along with this new agreement. And of course, we did avoid concessions. Now, while this deal is excellent in many respects, it is not a perfect deal. And here's what makes it an imperfect deal. We are not in control of our own destiny, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. The other component to this that makes it less than ideal is that it does not apply to new hires. However, that will give us a future bargaining opportunity. And sometimes what you have to remember in negotiations is it's not what you're able to achieve at the bargaining table, it's what you set yourself up for in the future. And that is extremely important. Now, for all of these reasons, the PFA campaign is going to continue. If you need a new lanyard, please go on to the EDV MEC website, fill out the form, and we will get one shipped to you. We're also going to be getting badge backers, and those have been ordered, and probably within the next two to three weeks, we expect them to get here. They're orange badge backers with a lot of really great information on them, so if you're not a big fan of the lanyard, you will have that as an option, or you could absolutely wear both. Now, one of the questions that has been asked uh, thus far is, why did we get here, or how, what brought us to this point, to this tentative agreement? What led us to this agreement that we have before us today? Is it the orange lanyard? Is it the campaign? Is it your operational performance here at Endeavor? Is it the way that you 
serve the customer? Is it negotiations or our relationship building or our problem solving skills with the company? The answer is it's all of that. Every single component has fed into our ability to get guaranteed and contractual career progression. So the question that is on a lot of the pilot group's minds is, how did the negotiations begin? What was the company's opening proposal? And how did we get to the deal that is before you today? Well, essentially, there was a three-pronged approach that was taken by the company. Number one, the company was seeking contract modifications. Number two, they were also seeking a career advancement plan or the CAP, not unsimilar to what we have talked with the company about in years past. This CAP program would have only applied to new hires. It would not apply to pilots currently on property. But nonetheless, they did want to talk about memorializing that in the agreement. And then the third component was the LOA 9 flow-up flowback agreement, which we'll get into again in more detail a little later. For now, let's get into the contract modifications. And to talk to you a little bit little bit about that, here is our MEC Secretary Treasurer, Jade Shiwi. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for inviting me for the negotiations over those past two weeks. It's the first week we received the company's proposal. Within that first proposal, there was about 20 items they had brought forward, and they were asking for some relief for mutual benefits within this. We're not going to go over every single one of them, but we're going to give you the majority of what the big picture items, what the company was looking for. In LOA 71, we got credit push relief. This allowed the top 70% line holders to avoid getting flying forced onto their lines. This was a good quality of life improvement that we were able to achieve during that LOA. They also asked for a reduction on long call reserve to 15%. As we know also that we got uh, through the surveys that our pilots have actually wanted to see an increase in long call reserve. So we uh, had gone to the company and actually asked for an increase in long call reserve, but tied to long call reserve, they also were looking for a reduction in the long call reserve escalation pay. Also, the company was looking for some other improvements. They were looking at for OE withholding modification by fleet within the FO position, specifically elimination of the reserve 23% cap. This would force more FOs to be on reserve and reduce the quality of life in that position. And of course, with me being an FTI, then the next one comes near and dear to my heart. Company wants to get relief on the non-sonority list instructor scope relief. They would like to use more up to 100% than non-seniority list instructors. They were looking at longer training freezes for both new hire and captains for fleet. This would also increase the times and it would hold both new hires and upgrade captains in their aircraft for longer periods of time. The company wanted this because it would reduce the number of differences training events. They were also looking to increase ready reserve and splitting the domiciles in New York. They wanted to treat JFK and LaGuardia as separate domiciles and get increased ready reserves in each of those domiciles. They were also looking at having an unfettered access new hire bonus. The issue with this is it would allow the company to invert pilot pay and allow the company to pay FOs more than a captain at certain times. This is something that we weren't interested in at all. Uh, if you just give them total access to change the bonus at any time, they can offer an FO, whatever they choose to at that moment, which again will change and give us the inability to uh, maintain the current pay scale as we see fit. 
But this also, again, if the company sees a need for the FOs to increase that new hire bonus, this allows the company to come to us and we can, again, see a bargaining opportunity in the future for that if they do need that relief. All right, so when we talk about direct contact, again, the, the company has wanted direct contact since we did get the iPad. Now, we weren't or did not, as like Nick likes to say, have the appetite for direct contact at all times. But it was something we were willing to entertain with severe restrictions that we were going to bargain back and forth. But again, at this time, this was all regards to the initial proposal that the company came to when we were talking about flow and the cap program and all this interchanged as one big package that they presented to us. Yeah, thanks, Jade. Thanks for going over uh, some of those items. And I think for the listener, what you really need to take away from this is the company at the table spoke extensively about why they needed these types of items. They wanted to run a more efficient airline. They needed uh, pilot headcount savings. They wanted to take on the block hours and demand from Delta. Um, they wanted to grow the airline, uh, which is great for everyone involved, but the pilots shouldn't be the ones fully funding that or unilaterally funding that. The other curious thing about their proposals is when we did try to get um, a fleet guarantee, enhanced fleet guarantee, not just in terms of duration, but in terms of quantity, they didn't necessarily want to engage on that. So it's kind of hard to do a proposal where you're providing contractual leave to get growth without having that growth guaranteed in some type of new agreement. Now, ultimately, the, we came back with a fairly extensive and exhaustive list of quids ourselves to go on top of career progression. And given the complexity that was going to be involved in that type of negotiation and the timeline that the company had, which was we wanted to reach an agreement by the end of the week, um, the parties basically decided to just scrap all of the contract modifications and just move on in a, in a different direction that was far more streamlined. As we said, we can do a robust deal or an expeditious deal, but it's very difficult to do both. And so the company chose to do a more expeditious deal. So here to talk to you about the second prong of the approach, which is the career advancement plan, is our very own Jane Schrapp, Senior Labor Relations Attorney. Jane, thank you. As Nick mentioned earlier, um, any student of Endeavor career progression knows that for a couple of years, the association has been advocating for um, a form of career progression um, that we've dubbed the CAP, uh, the Career Advancement Plan. And this plan uh, differed from a pure flow in that um, a candidate's merits would be considered, um, but the focus was on objective criteria as opposed to subjective criteria. Uh, we were seeking to remove subjective evaluations such as the interview or the psych panel. As Nick mentioned, the company did come in with a CAP-type program, and it did include some of the concepts that we had earlier discussed, such as a service requirement. Um, their initial proposal was for 48 months of active service with at least 24 months as a captain. Um, in the company's proposal, um, a candidate would have to meet all of Delta's objective hiring requirements and examples of these would be first-class medical, college degree, no DUI within the previous 10 years. Uh, the company proposed items such as um, no active discipline or attendance letters in a pilot's file. 
The company's proposal also would have addressed the number of training failures that a pilot could have in order to be eligible for progression. Bottom line, we never got very far in these discussions to drill down to see where we would have finally ended up. What we did become aware of, though, was from the company's perspective, there would be some number of pilots who would be excluded from moving to Delta, a greater number than um, what is in the flow tentative agreement. Under the cap, a pilot with any form of FAA certificate action could have been denied movement. Um, a pilot with a certain number of training failures may have been denied movement. In addition, if a pilot had been unsuccessful in an off-the-street interview, a DGI interview, E2D or Propel, or the psych panel, those pilots would be um, barred from moving to Delta. Another facet of the cap was that the movement, um, the number of pilots moving to Delta um, was more constricted. Uh, the company's proposal was for moving 20 pilots per month, but that could have included five off-the-street candidates. In other words, 25% uh, of those pilots who moved in any given month might have been junior pilots, or maybe not, but we would have had no control over that. The company also proposed that if Endeavor felt operationally constrained by the number of pilots moving, the 20 per month um, quota could have been reduced without any input from ALPA. Um, we countered the company's initial proposal and our counter was taken under advisement and not ultimately responded to because in that time period, um, the decision was made to um, simplify the negotiating process by removing the cap, removing the contract modifications from our overall discussions. So thanks, Jane. Many of you already know that the flow up, flow back agreement only applies to pilots currently on the seniority list. It does not apply for new hire pilots. And you might be thinking, well, doesn't Endeavor and Delta need some type of mechanism that might be more competitive, competitive than the DGI um, to stay relevant? And we we absolutely believe that's the case. And, and I think that they believe that that's the case as well. And that's why you heard Jane talk about how they brought the career advancement plan as their solution to the new hire issue. Uh, we do believe that they're going to be back to the bargaining table with us at some point in the future because we think that that's going to be something that they need. So there will be upcoming bargaining opportunities even outside this agreement uh, for the cap or for many other strategic objectives and interests that uh, the company may have. So let's move on to what the linchpin of the entire agreement is, and that is the flow up, flow back agreement. And I want to talk to you a little bit about where this agreement came from or where it materialized. And where it started was an agreement between Compass Airlines and Northwest that was eventually inherited by Delta. And a portion of that agreement ended up inside the Delta PWA, specifically Section 1B47F Exception 2. Inside that section in the pilot working agreement at Delta, it states that if LOA 9, which is this former agreement between Compass and Northwest, if that ever ceases to be available at Compass or another airline, the 76 seat scope needs to be reduced by 35 aircraft within the DCI network. So herein lies the dispute between Delta and the Delta MEC. Delta believes that because the verbiage inside the PWA says, or another airline, 
they're going to be able to take this agreement and put somebody else's name on it, and that will satisfy the requirements of that 1B47F exception 2, and it will unlock their ability to start operating these 3576-seat aircraft. The Delta MEC, on the other hand, believes that they need to be a signatory to any deal as to where the pilots could potentially end up, that meaning Delta pilots, and it's certainly not an unreasonable stance to take. So they've announced that they will file a grievance based upon the fact that they are not a signatory to this deal. And that's really where this disagreement comes into play. Now, what you should understand is the Delta MEC is absolutely supportive of the Endeavor MEC. I have been in consistent contact with Jason Ambrosi, who is the Delta MEC chairman, along with various other representatives of the Delta MEC. And they absolutely understand the value to this deal and the reasons behind Endeavor needing to take it. They also understand that this deal could go somewhere else. It could go to a SkyWest. It could go to a Republic. It could go to a non-DCI carrier. The Delta MEC and the Delta pilots are going to face this challenge to their scope section, regardless of whose name is on it. So it makes sense strategically to make sure that for however long this agreement may be in place, that Endeavor and the association, meaning ALPA, gain the benefits of this. And so they understand strategically why we are taking the position that we're doing as far as allowing our name to be put onto this agreement. So for Endeavor, as long as the flow up, flow back agreement remains in place, we will be sending 20 pilots per month to Delta. And those pilots need to be the first pilots in each and every single class. There are no gates or requirements other than you must have 30 months of service at Endeavor, you must be a captain at the time the flow is offered to you, and you must be able to hold a first class medical. Those are the only gates to be able to go to the mainline property. Although the pilots will secure the first 20 spots in each class, seniority within the class will still be by social security numbers, which is the Delta system and the Endeavor system. So as long as these 35 jets remain in operation, Endeavor will have a flow up, flow back agreement. Now let's talk about strategy here a little bit. Why is it beneficial for Endeavor to take on this agreement? Well, first of all, we're going to get 20 pilots per month to Delta. That is a very, very big win for our pilot group. And they're going to be 20 senior pilots. So everybody else here is going to be very positively affected. Think about uh, first officers having more opportunity to upgrade to captain. Think about reserves becoming line holders. Think about people that can't have weekends off or holidays off now being able to achieve those things. We're talking about the most senior cadre of pilots. And so that is definitely very beneficial. It also establishes a precedent for us. We have never achieved guaranteed and contractual career progression at Endeavor. And so to be able to break through that barrier and establish a foothold in the career progression world is very valuable to our long-term strategic objectives. If this program were to ever go away, strategically speaking, also, now that we have achieved an unfettered all-access flow to Delta Airlines, that now becomes the bar. So if this program were to ever go away, uh, maybe through an arbitration or a negotiated settlement that results in those 35 aircraft being parked and the flow-up, flow-back agreement ceasing to exist, next time we go to the bargaining table, we are strengthened by once having that bar set where it's going to be set today. That is extremely valuable to us. There's obviously more information um, regarding the flow up, flow back agreement. Please join us on the live call and also make sure that you are engaging with your officers, reps, and negotiators inside each of the domiciles all week long. Time for a question, 4562. Any red reports up ahead? Yes, 
All right, let's take a question from the front line from Captain Jake Johnson. Jake writes, why did you agree to settle for a contractual career progression that will not apply to anyone hired after the signing date? To me, this comes across as the opposite of progression for all. That is a great question, Jake. And, and let me take a few moments to um, let the pilot group understand why we accepted this deal. The terms of LOA 9 had already been established by Compass, by Delta, and by the Delta MEC. We are unable to modify any of those terms. Okay. Therefore, because this, that program only applied to pilots um, as of the date of signing, our program is only going to apply to pilots as of date of signing. Now, we think that this can actually be a benefit, not today, but in a future bargaining opportunity. We know that they're going to need some type of guaranteed and contractual career progression model for new hire pilots in order to stay relevant and competitive in this labor market. This will give us another bite at that apple. Oftentimes, too, you want to put the stake in the ground and look for opportunities to incrementally improve it later. This allows us to do that. So it is a great question, and I know it is a concern. Um, but again, this advances the ball into a territory we've never seen before. And now all we have to do is figure out the new hire question, and then we've got the career progression problem solved. So thanks for that question, Jake. We really appreciate it. As always, everyone, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Make sure you tune in to the live call on May 25th at 6 Central. Everyone, uh, fly safe and be safe out there, and we'll see you on the line. 7 5 31 runway 28, quit land.